So we are um, actually wrapping up this series this morning on this sub-series that we've done in through the Gospel of John as we worked through the Gospel of John throughout this whole summer. We've been going chapter by chapter, and, and we started again, remember, John chapter 1, the Word became flesh. And we've been walking with John's account of Jesus' life, chapter by chapter, as we've studied it through the summer months. And, and now these last four weeks, we've taken this kind of subsection of the gospel, chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, where most of the words are read. Again, if you have a red-letter Bible, meaning every time that Jesus speaks, those words are printed in red ink. And, and now if you don't have a red-letter Bible and it's all black, it's the same text, but, but again, those red-letter Bibles just highlight when Jesus speaks. And, and, and when we see that, these chapters are mostly read. These chapters are, are the, the final hours of Jesus' earthly life. And, and we see as Jesus teaches um, the, kind of the, the, mo- the most important things about God in these final moments of his life. This is the, those times, again, as a teacher, when Jesus knows that his time is short and he has to get, and get in and reiterate the most important things to his disciples. And, and we've seen through these chapters that the main theme of these chapters is the Trinity right? and, and the different roles that God plays through God the Father, through the Son, the Messiah, and through the Holy Spirit, the Advocate that has been poured out on every believer and lives in the heart of every believer. And now as we get to John 17, like I said, we are wrapping this up today. And we're going to push pause on the Gospel of John, and we are going to pick it back up in the spring when we get to Easter season. And we're going to step right back into John. We're going to push play on it again and jump back into John 18. And we're going to work our way again through the Easter season in this story when Jesus' time has come for him to go to the cross. And so we're going to pick that back up. So next week, again, we are going to be starting a new series. And this series is titled, Why We Do What We Do. So we're going to be looking at our vision and our mission and the core values of Oregon Trail and, and just why we do what we do and what, what's the foundation of our vision and our mission and, and looking deeper into our core values. And, and last week I extended a challenge to, to us as a congregation to say as we do that, as we kick off this fall, right, uh, and with this series of why we do what we do is I encourage you to say to not go through this series by yourself, Hey, be, be thinking and praying, hopefully you did that this last week, about who you're going to invite to, to, to hear this series with you, and whether you're coming in with us in person, whether you're worshiping with us online. Uh, I encourage you to, to make the ask, right? Make the invite and bring somebody with you next Sunday um, to hear, again, as we start dive into what, what it is the mission of our church, Right, what does join the journey mean, right? And, and how are we going to live that out through our core values? And so we're starting that next week. They said, bring them with you in person, invite them to your house, host a watch party online, you know, watch online, whatever works for you. But I just encourage you to think about that as we reach out to our community and, and, and share Jesus with those that, that are not um, walking with him or not connected to home church. Um, and so just, I encourage you to, to, to reach out in that way and let the Holy Spirit guide you. And we've been studying the Holy Spirit now for, for weeks, right? And, and the Holy Spirit will guide you in those conversations and those invitations. So today, as we jump into to John 17, I encourage you to open with me. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you to John chapter 17, 
If you're with us in person, you'll have your own Bible. There are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. You'll notice on the outline is the page numbers where you can find John 17 in those Bibles. Uh, again, if you're worshiping with us online, uh, open up your Bible and follow along and say, we're going we're gonna to dive right into um, to John 17. And, and John 17 is, is a very unique chapter. In fact, it's, it's, it's a very unique chapter, not just to the gospel itself, but, but also in comparison to the other gospels. We've already seen that John is written in a very different style than the other gospels. John takes things a little deeper. It's a more um, love letter style of writing, right? As Jesus even self-describes himself, or John self-describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And John was present in a lot of these situations and heard conversations that other people didn't hear. And, and John kind of gives us a behind-the-scenes look at the life of Jesus. Now, no, um, again, none of the other Gospels describe Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was arrested. And they, they definitely do not give the detail of the prayer that John gives us in chapter 17. Now, before we, we, we jump into to the text of this, I was saying, and I hope we'll see today as we read the text and this prayer of Jesus, that, that John really captures the heart of who God is in this, in this chapter and in this prayer. Now, before we jump into that, to say is that this is one of my favorite chapters of Scripture. And just personally, as we get there and, and to see this again, Jesus is praying this in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Hour, literally moments before he is arrested and eventually ends up on the cross. And uh, maybe you know, I visited the Holy Land uh, in January of 2020. And this was, for obvious reasons, this, this is one of my favorite chapters of Scripture. This, my, my favorite place that we went, right, was the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and there, just like there, just like many places, there are there are churches that are built over these these historic sites. Okay? And and this uh, again at the Garden of Gethsemane, um, this is a picture of that church that is built literally over the top of the rock that Jesus supposedly prayed on. Okay? And as you see again, and, and I since it's a little bit dark, you kind of see that, but there's there's literally this is just bare rock, and it's all been, literally, this church is built over the top of this rock, right, where they believe Jesus prayed this prayer. And to say, as we were there inside this church and, and, and experienced that, and again, I had the honor, right, of, of kneeling there and praying at that same spot. And as, as we jump into the text this morning, just, again, imagine the, the dark of night and Jesus kneeling on that very rock, Right, and praying this prayer. So John chapter 17, we're going to start with verses 1 through 8. It says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have 
is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it, and now that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. Again, I want to pause there as, as we see this, this kind of intro into this, this prayer again of Jesus. And there's a couple things that Jesus points out here in this prayer as he talks with the Father. And, and he, he points out, again, the, the job that he was sent to do as the Messiah. And there, there's, there's a couple things that Jesus describes here. Job number one of the Messiah was to give eternal life. As Jesus has already established through these I am statements we've been following through the gospel, we saw in, in, in chapter 14 with the, the culmination of the statements where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father but through me. And again, the job number one of the chosen Messiah sent to earth was to give eternal life. And here we see in verse 2, Jesus um, describes, again, this, this job that he was given. He had been given authority over everyone, and he gives eternal life to everyone who was entrusted to his care. And then he moves into this, this defining verse in chapter 3. Verse 3 says, And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. And with this verse, again, Jesus defines what eternal life is. Our job number one of the Messiah was to give eternal life, and, and then he defines this of that the essence of salvation is relationship. Right? The essence of salvation is relationship. Again, the Christian Christianity belief. Right? Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. It is not a religion. It is a relationship. And that's the way Jesus defines it in verse 3, isn't it? He says, this is the way to have eternal life. To know you. The one true God. And Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. That is eternal life defined to know God. You know, what is the goal of our faith, right? To, to be in heaven. What is heaven? Heaven is un, to be in unhindered relationship with Christ in his unhindered presence. Heaven is a relational state. Right, the essence of salvation is relationship. And then he tells us in verse 4 that, that Jesus acknowledges that he has completed the work that he was sent to do. Right? And he is asking the Father now to glorify him back to heaven. And then he says, you have sent me to earth. And, and then again establishes here, right, it, in verse 5, he says, now, Father, bring me into the glory that we shared before the world began. He's saying, you know, bring me back to heaven. I've accomplished my mission, now bring me back. So why was he sent to earth? What was the other part of his job, the job number two of the Messiah, why he had to come to earth, and that was to reveal God to the world? Because we can't know something that, that we don't know about. 
We can't be a deep relationship with someone that we don't know exists. And so Jesus came to the earth. He was sent to earth to, to reveal God to the world. Again, to shine light into the darkness. To open the eyes of the blind. To bring to life what was dead. To reveal God to a world that so desperately needs his presence. And as Jesus, as the chosen Messiah, reveals this truth to the world, Jesus reiterates, though, that as he has accomplished his goal, right, to reveal the truth to the world, that this truth not just must be believed, but it also must be accepted. Yeah, this is what Jesus tells us in verse 8, right? He says, I have passed on to, the, the, I passed on to them the message you gave me, and they have accepted it, and know that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. Again, what was the goal of John's gospel? Was for every reader to believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. Right and now, Jesus is, is praying to the Father and said, I have accomplished what you sent me to do. I've revealed God to them, and they have accepted it, and now they know. Do you know? Are you convinced? As we've studied all of the, the teachings and the miracles and the conversations and the symbolism and the claims of Jesus over the summer, do you know that Jesus was the Messiah? I hope you do. But not only believe, but have you accepted? Have you accepted the, the truth in your life? Have you opened up your your mind and your heart to who Jesus is and, and to, the, to the grace and the mercy and forgiveness that we celebrated today through communion, right? He did that for you. And you must accept that truth and embrace it in your life. And then Jesus continues his prayer through the chapter. And starting at verse 9 through verse 21, which is the, the next section of the prayer, Jesus goes into detail as he prays for many different topics. But the overall theme of his prayer on this night is he's, he, again, once again, preparing his own mind and heart to go to the cross and, and to, to, to finish the job that he has started right through that death and his eventual resurrection. But yet Jesus prays, and Jesus prays for unity among all believers. This is the theme of his prayer. Unity among all believers. Again, Jesus tells us who he's praying for in verse 9. He prays for all believers, anyone who will hear his message. And he also prays for what we will need in verse 11, and that what we will need is unity. He makes the same distinction towards the end of the prayer, verses 20 and 21. Jesus literally bookends his prayer with his overall theme of unity. 
you know, I've already mentioned it, right, but this Friday, again, is September 11th, and when we think about you know, the, the, the events of September 11th, 2001, I, I don't know where you were on that day, but I, it, that's one of those moments of your life, right, that you'll never forget where you were when you heard about what was happening in our, in our nation. I, I, I remember right, that day. Vividly. There's, there's a few days in my life I remember vividly, right? That's one of them. And, and if, if you remember that day, think, think back again to the, to, to the aftermath of 9-11. Right? Of the, the following weeks and months. Right? And what, what was our nation like? Right? Again, it was, it was one of those moments Right, that I felt like that our nation was the most unified that it's ever been. Right, people dug their flags out of their garage and their closets, and they actually put them up in front of their houses. Right, and people were were unified together. Right, and kind of for for a moment, right, reminded of what really mattered in life. And now compare, you know, September of 2001 and October and November of 2001 compared to 2020. Right? I mean, look at our world right now. And, and as I remember, the, you know, those, those fond ex, you know, memories of the unity that we experienced as a nation in those times, think about right now. Right now feels like the most divisive and tension-filled that we've ever experienced. And as we look at Jesus' prayer for unity among all believers, I, I don't think it's a far stretch to think that Jesus' prayer is needed more now than it really ever has been. But, and Jesus, as he continues you know, to, to, on this theme of unity and, uh, and praying for all of us, there's, there's a few things that he highlights within this, these verses right, that, that we will need if we will truly stay united. And the, the first one is this, is that to be united, we will need protection. To be united, we will need protection. For, for all believers to, to, to be truly united, we will need protection. Protection. Again, protection from what? John 17, verse 15. Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Right? We need protection from the enemy. Again, we are not taken out of the world. In fact, Jesus Purposely is saying, no, they need to be in the world because this world needs the light that will come through them. Because if I take out all of the believers of the world, right, then a loving God would never do that, would he? Because all that would be left would be darkness. Which is the opposite of why the Messiah came. But we need protection, right? Keep us safe. Jesus prayed for you to keep you safe. From the evil one. Okay, if you want to dive deeper into exactly what that looks like, right, and how the battle that we're truly fighting, I encourage you to look back in the sermon archives at the armor of God. 
First, to be united, we need protection. And then Jesus continues in his prayer and, and prays that and shows us that in order to be united, we also need holiness. We need to be holy like our God is holy. We need to live a life of obedience and faithfulness and our hearts to continue to be transformed, to be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. To live a life of holiness, to be made holy through the power of the Holy Spirit. John 17, verses 17 and 19. Jesus prays, make them holy by your truth and teach them your word, which is truth. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Right? Our sinful nature right, makes us fallen. But yet... Not only do we accept Christ as our Savior, but then we start that journey of transformation, that journey of faith that makes us more holy tomorrow than we are today, following our example, which is Christ. Right, who himself, being divine, right, gives us the human example of what holiness looks like. Are you more like Christ tomorrow than you are today? Are you moving forward in your holiness? Because to be united, we need protection. To be united, we need holiness. And, and thirdly, to be united, we need a mission. We are sent into this world just like Jesus was. All believers are sent with a mission. Right? And that mission, again, is not just to save ourselves. Right, not just to, to be more holy, right, in my own life, in my own faith, but, but sent into the world on mission. Right, in verse 18, Jesus prays, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Right, we are sent on a mission. Just like Jesus was, so are we. We now have the same job to do that Jesus had, and that is to reveal God to the world and help them find the salvation that we've already found. Again, to truly be united, we need protection, we need holiness, and we need a mission. And we see all of these things that Jesus has brought into our lives as followers of him. And we realize through this, this prayer of Jesus that our unity is what best represents God to the world. The unity of his church. Again, not just Oregon Trail, but of his big C church, right? The unity of God's church is what best represents God to this world. Because remember, what did Jesus teach on in these chapters? The Trinity. What's the most significant about the Trinity? Their unity together as one God. Again, the doctrine of the Trinity models for us the way the church should function. 
We have different roles, but we have the same mission. We are unified again through our collaborative holiness. We have the same values. Right? And we are protected by the same God. And we're not sitting on the sidelines, but we are engaging in the fight every day. And we do it together. Verses 20 and 21, again, is Jesus kind of ends this section of the prayer. Right? He says, I am praying not only for those, for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Guess what? That's you and me. And I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. How are we really going to be set apart from the world? It is through our unity. Our love for each other. Our model of who God is and how the Trinity functions. That is our mission. That is our call. That is our anointing. Again, I, I encourage you to underline the phrase so that the world will believe. What is our mission, church? To help the world believe. Help them find what we found. To help them join the journey of faith and to to, to move forward. Again, to achieve this unity, to accomplish our mission the way that Jesus accomplished his mission, we need these three things. Protection, personal holiness, and central mission. Again, we need each other to accomplish this. I can't do it without you, and you can't do it without each other. Right? And, and this mission doesn't rest on the shoulders of any any one of us, it, it rests on all of us together. It doesn't just rest on Oregon Trail Church of God, but on God's church. But we must do our part. Right? We must live out our faith and, and find camaraderie and unity with our Christian brothers and sisters. We need each other to accomplish this. Like Jesus didn't spend his time praying for any specific people, he prayed for all of us. And I've always kind of wondered, why didn't he just, you know, single out Peter? Right? We all know he needed it, right? Judas, maybe. Lord, protect John. Don't get him to, let him get too discouraged. Right? No, he prayed for all of us. As we look at this critical theme of this prayer, Unity. We end up at these concluding verses. Okay, verses 22 to 26. And as we look at this conclusion of the prayer, Jesus sums up everything that we have seen in these last four chapters. And in these closing 
verses, verses 22 through 26, Jesus concludes with this vivid description of God's heart. Again, what was his central mission? Jesus was, right, was to reveal who God is to the world. And in these concluding words, Jesus gives this incredible, vivid description of the heart of God. Again, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, really captures the heart of God in this gospel. And no chapter in John contributes more to this fact than John 17. Especially... Verses 22 through 26. Again, God's heart can be represented in lots of different ways. Lots of different examples and illustrations and stories and and ways to illustrate God's heart. But I want to just pause for a moment here before we read these verses. And I'm going to read these verses. But before we do that, I just want to show you one picture or description of God's heart. Okay, that is through this short video. So we're going we're gonna to watch this video. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Excuse me, son. Yeah? What have you got there? Got, got some birds, some wild birds. Really? Yeah. Where'd you get them? I'm in the field over there. There's a field with wild birds. Huh. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind my asking, what are you going to do with them? I want to play games with them. Games? Yeah, I can play games with wild birds, yeah. What kind of games? Um, sometimes I like to poke a stick in there, you know, and they'll be like going, gah, 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 like that, you know? And then sometimes I like to rattle the cage, and they think it's an earthquake, and they love that. What happens to them after you're done playing games with them? Mm, usually I feed them my cat. Yeah, my cat likes wild birds. I'll tell you what. I am fond of wild birds. You are? Yeah. Let me buy them from you. You want to buy my wild birds? Yeah. They're no good for nothing. They can't do no tricks or nothing. And when you open this gate, they're just going to fly away. How much? You're serious? I'm very serious. Five dollars. All right. Ten dollars. Okay. Twenty dollars. They're wild birds. They're exotic birds. You found them in a field. An exotic field. All right, that's all I got. See you looking at the cage. Yeah. What do you got in there? You know what's in there. Mankind. Found them in the garden. The funny thing is they put themselves in that cage. I had nothing to do with it. So what's your plans with them? I'm going to play games with them. Games? What kind of games? All kinds of games. I'm going to put games into their life that they think is going to bring them so much pleasure. Then I'm going to turn the world upside down. I'm going to make right seem wrong and wrong seem right. And then? They'll be damned for all eternity. My father and I, 
We're very fond of mankind. I know. We want them to have access to us. So I'm going to pay for their freedom. You want these humans? Yeah. You know they've promised you everything before. They're going to turn their backs on you. Some will, and some won't. You're serious. Oh, I'm very serious. It'll cost you your tears. I know. Your blood. Yeah. It'll cost you your life. I know. You're willing to give your life. I'm willing to give what it takes. This reminds us about what Jesus did for us on the cross. He picked up that wooden cross and carried it to Mount Calvary because he loved you and me. John 17, verse 22. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want those whom you have given me to be where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. And then your love for me will be in them. And I will be in them. God loves you. God gives you protection. God leads you into holiness. And he has given us a mission. My final thought for today is this. The heart of God is that all will believe and be unified. Are you a believer? Are you unified? Take whatever steps necessary to say yes to both questions. Yeah, I don't know where you are in your faith. Maybe you've been journeying with Christ for a long time. Maybe you've never accepted him as your savior, but take whatever step you need to take so you can emphatically say yes. I am a believer and I'm unified and I am taking my mission seriously. As we conclude the service this morning, I encourage you to, again, to commit to whatever step you need to take. God, we praise you today, Lord. We sing hallelujah to you because you are a holy God. Our Lord, you hold this world in your hands. And yet, God, you have called us to not just know you, to not just grow in our own faith, but God, to be united in the mission of showing this world who you are. And God, I pray that as we go through this next week, Lord, as your followers, Lord, as, as engaging deeply in that relationship with you, God, I pray that you would guide our steps.
Lord, open our eyes. Lord, and work through us. Lord, to shine your light in this dark world. God, we pray for unity among our divided world. Now, through the power of your name, we will represent you in every day, in every step, in every conversation, in every invitation. God, may you be seen in us. Lord, launch us today, Lord, into this world with your power and your spirit. Lord, help us to engage in the fight and take new ground for your kingdom. Guide us as we go this week. We praise you because you are the God of all creation. Guide us now as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.